0: included today my guest is leah lane who fronts and plays guitar for the band rose garden funeral party who you heard a little bit of in the intro we're going to talk to her about how she came up in the scene how she formed the band how they've handled this last year and what they have in store for 2021 and moving forward but before we get to that let's take a little bit more of a listen to fade to black
1: who you are. My name is Leah Lane, and I front the band Rose Garden Funeral Party. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thanks for sitting down with me and doing this. Um, I have a few questions for you, but I'm going to let you just tell me, man, how you got started.
1: Okay. Well, uh, I, I guess it started seriously when I was about 13. I was in the, uh, I was in middle school and my friend Max Vicente saw me playing acoustic and covering Pretenders songs. I think it was Human on the Inside, and, uh, which is a Divinals cover. And um, I'll Stand By You and... Um, good Lord, there was a third one. I can't remember it. Um, but there there was a third one, doesn't matter. But he saw me and, and for some reason it clicked in his head that she would be a perfect keyboard player. Which, I, <laughs> I don't know why. That was the connection, but... Uh, he, he asked me to play keyboards and I was like, well, I've never played keyboards before, but I'd be willing to learn as I was, I was a huge, I, I looked up to him. He, he was playing music more seriously than I was at that age. And so I wanted to kind of be involved in whatever he was involved in. And so, um, uh, he taught me how to play keyboards a little bit and that was enough to kind of like, let me kind of learn on my own. I grew in this band and it was called the psychosonics and we were like a late 60s, early 70s inspired psychedelic band uh, named after the song Psycho. <laughs> no, it's good. Are you all right? Do you want water? Do anything. like That's that's when I learned all those lessons. And then when I was 18, that's when um, I initially started Rose Garden Funeral Party. And that started uh, with a, a dude that I was dating because he wanted to be in a band with me. And so we were like, oh, okay, well let's start a shoegaze band. And it was originally called Sway. And then, uh, we decided to, when we were going into the studio to record a record, to change the name, because we realized there are just way too many bands named Sway. And so I was sitting in my apartment one day and, uh, um, Rose Garden Funeral Sores played. And then Funeral Party by The Cure came like right after it on my, just like phone on shuffle i was like oh rose garden funeral party that'd be perfect so that's how the band got its name and then the dude and i after we named it and cut the record which was the chopping block um we were only together for like another maybe like six months before we broke up and then and we had been like playing shows a little but we broke up that december and um then that January, that's when I started playing guitar for the band, and then that was January of 2018. So that's when people ask us like, when Rose Garden started? That's the official answer, is we say January of 2018, because we don't we don't count the time when 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 he who shall not be named, he who martyr and at the stake and the chopping block are about <laughs> left the band, like or when he was in the band that those were the those that wasn't Rose Garden, because Rose Garden was really born in the in the absence of him, not in the presence yeah. of him. So,
0: so did you play guitar before?
1: No, no, uh, he did. Cause I, I, I was so in love with that guy and I just, I really, really wanted to make his dream band, you know? And so he played guitar. Um, but you know, I, I feel bad saying this, but you know, he had, uh, he had trouble like, keeping up and writing parts quickly. And I'm the kind of person that we need to play shows. We need to get on stage. Like if the part's not perfect, the part will develop itself like in the live setting. And I think that playing live is the best way to write songs. You know, I think that the sooner you can get on stage and play them in front of people and gauge crowd responses, the better. And, um, so he was he was a slower paced worker and I think he overthought his guitar parts. I think he had too many pedals for his mind. <laughs> um, Cause he, he's very, he was very smart and very meticulous. But uh, so I ended up writing all of those guitar parts on the chopping block are my guitar parts executed by him. So he's playing guitar on the chopping block, but I wrote the parts. Okay. Um, so I was playing guitar in the sense that I was writing the songs on guitar but I wasn't playing guitar on stage and I wasn't playing guitar in the studio. But, it, but that's why it was so easy for me to make the crossover when he did leave because.
0: To step up.
1: Uh, I just knew them yeah. already because I had written them. So like, I just had to become a real guitar player and I wasn't. You know, the first big gig that Rose Garden Funeral Party ever got, we opened for the Dead Milkmen at Trees. And this was only, like, four months into us being a band. Rodney Linderman, like, just found us on Facebook and hit us up and asked us to open. Uh, It was just so weird and surreal and insane. And now we're buds with the Dead Milkmen, and they came over to my apartment, and, like, we all, like, hung out. It was great. But that show... Someone came up to my brother, who's my bassist, and they were like, "Yeah, you're, you guys are great, but your guitar player can't keep time." And he goes, "Yeah, well, she hasn't been playing guitar in the band that long." And the guy goes, "Why are you opening up for Dead Milkmen?" <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. I was like, "Damn, i have i really got to step up." And it was, you know, after I got back from the um, after I got back from the first tour that Rose Garden did. That's when I started working at. Sam Ash music stores and playing guitar just constantly. Like, that's all I did. And, and through touring and playing guitar all the time at work and at home, I became a, a real guitar player. And then COVID happened and I'm back to being a bad guitar player.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to ask you about your songwriting. And yeah. On the way over here, I was thinking, like, if the lyrics sound really personal... You can answer. ask me
1: anything. But you
0: just answered my question oh, earlier. Oh, yeah. The, so, yeah. I I heard about you, your band, through someone, and I actually saw you live before I heard any recording. Mm-hmm. And so I was saying, I saw you at three links, mm-hmm. and I remember thinking like, these guys are fucking amazing. Thank you. They, I, I I you know I remember looking over to who I went with, going like, why haven't I heard about this band? I don't go out a lot anymore.
1: I also think that we're kind of nichey like there's not another band like Rose Garden in Dallas. I mean there's a lot well, of bands. No. There's like there's like a lot of other bands like us like on the West Coast like in New York or like in LA or like in the Bay. But in Dallas there wasn't at least at the time that we started there wasn't a goth like a, like a goth scene at least for what we were doing specifically. I I don't it's hard for us to find other bands. And like now we know Sevett and at the time there was Aztec Death. And of course, you know, there's Bloodbells um, Blood Bells and, and several others that we knew now, but at the time I feel like we were also scattered. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that it's just kind of hard to find goth bands in DFW. Yeah. So no no criticism there. <laughs> I, I there are a lot of people who are like, How did I not know Rose Garden? I'm like, no one knows. Well- <laughs> I don't know how to make people know. Well, you're helping people know right I, now. <laughs> I, I hope so. You are. <laughs>
0: uh, when So that was I think I saw you guys right around the time you released "Martyr," and actually I just got Martyr a year ago, so probably a year after it was released. That's awesome. yeah, and it's it's a great album.
1: Once that came out, then the pandemic hit kind of mm-hmm. shortly after that. Yeah, It came out on November 24th, I believe. Yeah. If my memory serves me. a
0: character. Matter of fact,
1: you guys were the last live
0: show I saw in Dallas. I think <laughs> really? it was you and Duel <laughs> and
1: <laughs> that was the a, web. Yeah, that was a fantastic show. That was a fantastic show. Yeah. That was so much fun. I really, 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 really miss those three links shows. Hmm. So how did you uh
0: how did you guys um cope? With just everything shutting down?
1: Poorly. Um, at the So, I feel like we fired all the bullets in our gun real fast. So, we had just gotten back from a tour in February. And we were on proximity clause for Fortress Fest. So, we couldn't play any shows in DFW when we got back from tour. Which was hard. Because, as you know, Rose Garden played every other night (laughs) i mean that's obviously an exaggeration but we played a lot like shamelessly a lot and everyone would always tell us like hey like come back don't play so much like you know like hone your crowd i'm like no people show up i'm not i'm not gonna like hold back on playing shows until people start like until the crowds start dwindling because like we love this they come like we're making money and putting it back into creating more so anyway We were, like, just, that was what tied the band. Like, we didn't rehearse, because we played so much that that was our rehearsal. I mean, it's kind of hard to make sense of rehearsing when you played three times last week. You know what I
0: mean? I've always thought that the best best practice, like, there's guys that can... There's bands that practice all the time mm -hmm. and never play, and there's guys that play their guitar in their room and Mm -hmm. never play, and... I remember being young and someone telling me the best practice you're going to get is live. Oh, I totally agree.
1: I mean, it's the same thing about, you know, what we were just talking about writing. Because you gauge crowd response. And also, you know, it's hard to like become your ism, your like character, your persona in the practice space. And I feel like when I perform, I move so much mm-hmm. that unless I'm like practicing and moving that much, like the two, like if I sit in my room and practice my scales all day, it doesn't make me be able to play like riffs while I'm like jumping off a kick drum any easier. Right. So um, it was hard, you know? So like we've been on this proximity clause for Fortress Fest, and so we hadn't played anything. And then the shutdown happened and we were like, oh my God. We're not gonna play anything for a while, and we were all in denial about it for a minute. Like we were like, oh, this will, be, this will be over so soon, and then it kept going and kept going. And at the time, we were all living in the house together. Um, for those listening, I at Rose Garden used to live in a big house together that we called the Rose Garden Funeral Home, and we would have like goth event nights out of the house like once a once a month that we called obituary. And what they were originally supposed to be were twelve events that led up to when we would move to Los Angeles. So it was like our Dallas death march. Like it was like a series of funerals, like for our time in Dallas. Um, And they were really cool. We'd have like bands from all over come and play, and DJs like from all over DJ. And mainly it was DJed by me and my friend Oliver Shepard. And you know, we'd have vendors come and everything and we'd just like fill out the backyard or the garage with vendors. And it was really, really fun. Like and the house looked like, an, old, an art installment, but like it was that it was the March obituary, I think was the first one that we canceled. And I really thought that we would continue after that. I thought we'd go on to do it again. And, um, April and we canceled April and then we canceled June and, by July I stopped making announcements that we were canceling and then by August it was time to move out of the home or you know decide to sign back on for another year and we had all you know come to the realization that um we weren't going to be able to make it to Los Angeles that year and so we all just decided to cut our losses because we couldn't afford the house anymore because of the pandemic and because it wasn't even bringing in any income we weren't we weren't getting anything out of it at that point. It was just a giant hole in our wallets. And so we all, like I split off with my brother, Will, who's my bassist and my drummer, Dylan's went off with a, with his girlfriend in, in his apartment in Deep Ellum. And, um, and that was hard and, and we're better now, but that was, it was definitely difficult to kind of give up on that dream and, and lose that. and, You know, as far as like actually making music as a band, the first thing that we did when the shutdown happened was flesh out the five new songs that we had and go record them. And that was at the stake. Because I think we were just desperate to do anything. The EP, right? The EP at the stake. The one that we released last year in March. And it's like very uncommon for us to do a release so quick behind another. Like normally we wait a year between releases to let it really saturate. But I think we were just antsy. And so we ended up putting it out. We recorded it in March. We put it out in June. Um, And we did like a live stream release show with Sub Sahara. It was like for cameras. It was so weird. Um, But anyway, so we did that record. And then after that, we felt like there was absolutely nothing to rehearse for. We're like, we already wrote the record. I'm dry at the moment of songs at that time, and uh, we would go into the room t- and get together, and all of us just felt like, what's the point? We're all, we were all just so depressed. Um, and then, in about July, after we had, you know, released at the stake, I was like, we, I've got to come up with something for us to do. So, I came up with the idea for invested in nostalgia. Have you seen that stuff i haven't so it 's kind of like hard to find I guess if uh you 're not like super active on like our social medias and stuff because it 's got a long title. but we did um kind of a retrospective of all of our records so I had been seeing the live streams the bands had been doing and they, and and we were the first one to do three links and we were the first one to do double wide. Like we did live streams, but they spooked me a little bit because you have no control over the sound, you know? And if you mess up, it's on the internet forever. (laughs) Like I always want Rose Garden to be presented in the best light that we can. So were
0: your guys, you guys live streams really live?
1: Yes, the the live streams. The, well, the live stream that we did for Double Wide is was really live. Like you you logged into you logged into Facebook and it was there. Same mm-hmm. with fa- or same with the two that we did for Three Links. Invested in nostalgia is different. So I wanted to give the live experience of Rose Garden Funeral Party. And I, and so in a way that it was accessible to people at any time for free at home. And it was every song that they could ever want to hear. Um, and I realized in thinking about it, you know, what is, what are the elements? Uh, what, what makes a live show special? It's getting to see the band actually perform the music that you listen to. And it's also getting to like, talk to the band or see the band talk to themselves on stage. It's it's the humanization of your artists that I think is so cool about live experiences. So I wanted to find like some way to combine that. And so Invested in Nostalgia is a retrospective of us playing live. It was recorded live, genuinely live, but it's not live streamed because it's on YouTube at any time. But it's us playing live um, uh, through all of our records. So the first installment of "Invested in Nostalgia" was filmed at the Rose Garden Funeral Home, and uh, oh, and I forgot. So uh, the humanization comes in because there's I, I there's interviews with each band member throughout in in between the songs. So we'll play a song and then you get to hear like Dylan kind of talk and like oh like we'll play another song and like I'll talk and. So you get to hear from us. So and then you know the next one was Martyr and the next one was at the stake and so on and so forth. But uh then and, and filmed in, in cool environments and stuff like that. So that that's what we did. After we released uh at the stake, we you know, focused a massive amount of attention on invested in nostalgia, which required going back and you know meticulously rehearsing those songs to be able to play them perfectly in a live setting so that we could feel comfortable putting them on the internet forever Mm -hmm. and so that's what we that that, that's what we did and then now that that's over we started the take cover series so now we're doing a different cover every month you know yeah
0: and what you guys did the um The most recent one you did, Oingo Boingo? Yeah, Danny Elfman. Elfman. Well,
1: technically it is Oingo Boingo as a band, but they couldn't put it out as Oingo Boingo due to complications of the record label in 1984, so they put it out as a Danny Elfman solo album. Yeah. been so good to me has it been good to you Has it been everything that you expected it to be? was it as good for you as it was good for me and was it everything that it was all set up to be yeah that was great yeah you liked it yeah. it was it was so fun
0: and you had Mike Doty playing guitar. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Doty is the greatest, and I just—it was that experience that um, inspired me to ask him to be the musical director for my solo record. So he'll—he's—he, him, and I are are, are going to be working together for a long time. Yeah. We work together real well. I like <laughs> him a lot. <laughs> all
0: day, all night. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. We have a we have a very. I think we have very like similar personalities. Yeah. I think you know, and um, I just. I just think he's awesome. Yeah. Like, I really respect him and look up to him. And I know that the respect is mutual, which, and, which is, you know, just it's great. And there's no egos. It's, like, all about making a great song. Yeah,
0: that's all he cares about. And and he doesn't bullshit you either. That's so awesome. If he tells you, you suck, you probably I suck. I hate <laughs>
1: it when people are like, no, that was good. I'm like,
0: Stop it. just be honest
1: yes i like I, that was one of the things i loved so much like dodie was there when i recorded my vocals for all of that danny elfman stuff and uh he'd be like no that wasn't great like and i loved that because so many people are like afraid <laughs> and i
0: can hear him saying
1: uh-huh. that "No," huh no that's great
0: let's do it again
1: yeah exactly absolutely and he rehearsed so much for it and he listened to the song so much and he thought about the song so much. And when he came into the studio, he just could not have been more of a help. He was so, um, constructive and, um, pragmatic and meticulous and thoughtful in the way he worked too. I just, I love him. I think he's great.
0: Great guy. Great guitar player. Yeah
1: the best guitar player I've ever I always say the he's studio. the most
0: underrated guitar player in Dallas
1: oh definitely that's, but like you know it's because he's, he's, he's immensely humble like incredibly oh, yeah. so and and he carries himself so sweetly and, and I don't know I there's a reason he's underrated it's because yeah. he's so nice <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> another thing about your band is your videos like you guys have some really cool videos thank you you know
1: so, do you guys use the same person? Yeah.
0: To...
1: So every single music video has been filmed, edited, directed, written by me and well, not me and oh, me, not me and I've had some ideas that I bring to her, but I don't want to say it the wrong way. Erin Devaney of her own company, All Hallows Productions, has filmed and edited and directed and scripted every single video. Erin from Denton. Uh huh. Erin Devaney. Yeah, who wow. who's engaged to Charlie Debolt? Who's the drummer in Upsetting? Yeah. Okay, yeah, you know the the like red hair on one side, black hair on the other. I do know Aaron. Yes, Aaron has done every music video ever. Um, when Rose Garden first put out the Chopping Block, or or first was like preparing to put out the Chopping Block, uh, I posted on Facebook. Does anyone have any interest in making a Rose Garden funeral party music video just to see? if anyone would maybe want to. Um, And the first comment I got was uh, someone saying, at Erin Devaney. And I I was like, okay. I had no idea who she was. I'd never seen her work. I was just like, cool. I got a suggestion. That's a person with a camera. Let's go. And um, I, I messaged her and I was like, hey, would you want to make a video? And she said, yeah, absolutely. And I sent her some inspiration of what I wanted to do. And we, you know, scouted locations, you know, via the internet and sent it to each other back and forth. And she found Gainesville Theater and we went out and we booked it and uh, for $700 for the day. And we went out there and we filmed the music video for Blitzkrieg in Holland. And about maybe 20 minutes into like seeing how she worked and how... Um, just kind and and welcoming and warm and relaxed she was and also how professional and prepared she was and also finding out that she's exactly my age and we have very similar upbringings and we're just very similar people. I was like, do you want to do every single music video for us? Like every single one. And she was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was because like, I love the idea of us growing together because you're videography will grow as my music grows so it will evolve together and I love that idea I I'll, I've, when I was a kid I was like really into Pink Floyd i I never I don't think I ever let go of concept albums you know it's like for me all of Rose Garden Funeral Party is this giant evolving concept and so she's a part of that we are a collective we're not just a band you know yeah. we're one videographer, one photographer, one producer and and we 're a team and i and that's really important. one of our like mantras is you're a part of an army a thousand angels strong and like that's that 's what this is. We find good people who have morals like ours, who care about the things that we care about, who we truly see as family, and then we stick with them we 're really loyal, and that's you know just kind of part of the ethos, so all of our music videos have the same kind of feel to them and consistency to them, and they also have an evolutionary feel to them, and some of them can have a nostalgia to them because of that because she's been there the whole time. Our director is literally just as invested as we are, and that's that's and just as. Emotional about it, and just is attached to it, and involved in it, and and sees it the same way we see it. And I think that's kind of uh, why our videos have a a certain thing to them.
0: Well, now that you explained all that, it it makes sense because I've watched your videos, and I I think you know like these are professional videos. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, she's amazing, and if you they're,
0: they're they're great, and they just the songs are so good. I I can't, I'll, I'll start, I'll start really kissing your ass if I, <laughs> if I go into like oh, how good they are.
1: Well, I, I'm really proud of them. And if, if you only knew, dude, we've never, that's, I, I mentioned that $700 that we paid for that theater because that was the first and only time we had a budget for a video. Like our videos are except for that video and the video for once in a while, either filmed in public spaces or in my freaking house (laughs) or, or like rubber gloves for fade to black, like opened their doors to us, like to film the band shots. But most of the videos that we've done are shoestring budget, like nothing like Blitzkrieg was the highest production, Mm. like cost wise video and everything else has just been me and Aaron and, and other team members family members like just making it work yeah. making like, it stop, happen hurry
0: up for the cops come
1: like the video <laughs> the my favorite music yes exactly when we recorded the video for "Illing and getting worse i don't know if you've seen that music video but it's it's everyone in the scene that you know like is rose garden's family that we love in my apartment it like with like playing instruments and partying and like we we had so many people in my apartment we had to move all the furniture against the walls and then it's us us, like running all over the apartment complex and like just having a ball like it's a miracle we didn't get the cops called on us but i was gonna say my favorite music video for rose garden is the video for tortured decline Mm -hmm. and that was all filmed in front of a green screen in my living room There's like there's Aaron's talent is unbelievable. And that that's what we do. That's 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 not only what I do as a songwriter, what Rose Garden does as a band, what Aaron does as a videographer, what Michael Briggs does as a producer, we take what we have and we we make it into the best possible thing it can be, whether that's our talents, our means, our resources, or our heartache or our you know, struggles or our successes or our joys or our loves or whatever it is.
0: Well, it definitely works.
1: Thanks, man. <laughs> so
0: your cover. Which one? The ones that are coming out. Oh, oh, yeah, the Take so, Cover so, series. Yeah. Take Cover series. Yeah.
1: What brought that on? Um, in all honesty, I'm in a little bit of like a songwriting dry spell because I, I don't know. Like, I feel like most of my songs sound the same right now. And so do my bandmates. And I can only write martyrs so many times in so many different ways with the same chord progressions, like the same four chord progressions. So, um, you know, I, I've i been wanting to, like, expand my writing, not only with myself, but with, with my boys, my bandmates. and And what taught me to write songs was covering other people's songs. So... When I, was, when I first became a, a serious songwriter, the thing that broke my... Because I, I had always been trying. I'd been trying to be a good songwriter since I was in like the sixth grade. But it wasn't until I was maybe like 17 that it clicked. And it clicked when I started listening to a lot of Patsy Cline and Ricky Nelson. And paying attention to the you know chord structures and the song structures. And how they were all really the same song. And it all just came down to key and melody and lyrics. And so that approach is riddled throughout Rose Garden Funeral Party. And you can only write those songs so many times. So I've been trying to expand on that. And so like, the thing that makes me write well is when I cover things. Because it, it, you know, it, it opens your mind to a new thing. And, and so that's why we're doing covers. Is, is to expand our writing. So the plan was to do covers up until August and writes throughout the time that we're doing the covers. And I've, I, I've kept a journal that I write extensively um, about what each cover teaches me as a writer. Um, and then, uh, so at the end of this Take Cover series, which will probably be over by about August, we're going into the studio in September to record a record that'll be out in December or January, which is called In the Wake of Fire. Um, going along with the martyrs' journey, um, and and hopefully it will be heavily inspired by the things that we've cho- like chosen to really dive into. Yeah. you know, the first one we did was that Pulp cover, um, and then we did, we covered Death 2 by Pulp with Scott White of Duel and Deep Red, which is my Shoe Gaze project. And the, the featured musicians is another big part of it uh, or another big element to the expansion of songwriting because we're bringing in other musicians that have skills that we don't possess and learning from them and watching them work in the studio and, and listening to their ideas and their feedback. And so it's it's all in an effort to, to gain knowledge, to just produce a better product than the one before
0: yeah yeah so yeah uh that's really cool i because most songwriters that like i think you're pretty confident as a songwriter are usually (laughs) when you get to that point you're like "Well, this is my thing like i don't (laughs) need to hear anyone else's opinion so i you know
1: i mean i'm definitely um I'm definitely pretty. I I am confident in this in the fact that like I know I have written good songs, but I'm not confident in the fact that I will always write good songs. You know, and I I am 23, and I look at all of my my biggest inspirations, which are like we talked about, like Brian Ferry, and I love Jarvis Cocker, and I love David Bowie, and. And, and so on and so forth. I could go on forever. But with all of those people, they matured into these incredible, not more than just artists, but but like philosophers. And, and I know that I'm not done. So right or getting comfortable or complacent in my writing seems very counterproductive to me. So I don't know. I would love to keep writing Martyr over and over again and just keep putting more complicated guitar parts on it, but I just feel like i'm not I'm not done you know I get bored I got bored of the sixties thing, so I started doing an eighties thing so yeah. now we got we gotta see where this takes me <laughs> like and i honestly I've been in the eighties thing for a long time, and I just keep finding different rabbit holes in the eighties yeah. to go down and like now I'm really into like sophista pop so all I listen to is,
0: like, fashion music. So, so, if you had to nail it, one artist, like, your your artist that really inspires you, one. Oh, my gosh. Spageless. Um,
1: it's like, because cause this is, like, this is my whole life, right? Yeah. Like. This is like the one of all time, or is it the one currently, or is it the one for this band, or is it like, <laughs> I mean... Cur-
0: currently, who is, who is the...
1: Currently the artist, and, it, and this is currently since about 18, mm-hmm. currently since about 18, I'm 23 now, um, it's been Jarvis Cocker of Pulp okay, for a myriad of reasons, um, nonetheless of which is that Pulp was a band for 15 years with the same lineup before they ever saw a shred of real success and that amount of perseverance and tenacity and togetherness and love that it would take to do that and to consistently put out records and to consistently keep trying in the face of, you know, being stagnant shows a genuine pure love for the art and for just the the music and it also shows a pure love for each other and it shows that they were doing it for the right reasons um and then when you know pulp finally did break it's it 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 it, it, jarvis cocker never let it destroy him he's still incredibly humble he still buys like secondhand clothes from goodwill and gives all his money away and like he hates fame and he hates money and um yeah, I just I think he's a beautiful person, and I'm incredibly moved by people who don't give up. I'm 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 definitely like a sucker for the long game. So like, yeah, I'm I'm really into that. Like that's I think that's why I like I also love Bowie so much. Is Bowie was cool until the day he died. It's the reason why I love Nick Cave so much. It's the reason why I love Brian Ferry so much. Because they they had they've had these like incredibly expansive beautifully orchestrated careers like they, when they like where they evolved and they grew and like david boy was never not cool nick cave has never not been cool you know and 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 so on and so for all of them and it's because they were authentic they were themselves to to the you know to the bone always yeah, so I guess yeah, I guess it's like I yeah, I guess it's like either Jarvis Cocker, I, it's just Jarvis Cocker probably. I know. Yeah, yeah. I love him, I lo- and I I love I love his music. I I guess, I guess I I love his music a lot. I think I really just love his his lyrics, but yeah. That would be the person. Okay. Because you said person and not band. Like there's, there's, you know, the person. That's <laughs> a whole nother. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I, if you had said front man, I'd be like, okay, like who do I like as a front man? Like, you know, it's all different, but as a human being, as a songwriter, a lyricist, a poet, and a human, which would be person. Yes. Travis okay. Cocker. Fair enough. Yeah. I'll, I'll sign on to that one. <laughs> so, um,
0: You plan on having this next album finished by December?
1: No, it'll be finished by September.
0: Released in... December. December. On
1: vinyl again, yeah. This will be our fourth vinyl release.
0: And I'm hoping that times are different by then. Yeah.
1: I really hope so. I had a tour scheduled for this fall um, and it just got pushed to spring of 2022. So, you know, we'll see. (laughs) I watch the news and I'm just like, I honestly, I can't, I can't watch the news about COVID. It makes me too sad. Well, I know there were days when I would
0: walk by you and look at you and we'd, live, we'd be like, when are we going to get back? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> when are mm-hmm. we going to get our lives back? Yeah. You and I are the ones that I, were bleeding hearts the most about that. Like Tommy, our, our boss at the time would like look at us and be like, you guys just are dying, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Cause we're road dogs. <laughs> we're road dogs. We belong in vans.
0: Yeah, we belong on the road.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I definitely do. So is L.A. still in the cards for you guys? <sighs> Honestly, I I really don't know at this point. I've had a, I've had that question get asked um, a couple times in the last few days, actually, and I don't I don't know. The longer that um, we stay in Dallas, I had an initial fear before COVID that. If we stayed in Dallas, we'd go stale in Dallas, and then it would all be over. And then I would end up just just staying in Dallas and dying in Dallas. as just a local band, and like I don't I don't want to do that. Like I I really want to get out of here and and do things beyond here. But, and so that's why I was like dead set on LA because I fell in love with it when I was 13. Maybe if when I had gone on that tour when I was 13, if it had been to New York and back, I would have fallen in love with New York. I don't know if it was really LA or if it was just my first taste of real freedom on the road. Yeah, Uh, And that was most experienced in LA that made me want to go there. But, you know, the more that like, I, I guess I mature in this field of work and learn more about it, the more I see how beneficial Dallas is as a, as a city to live in a it's way cheaper than Los Angeles. So we could actually afford to tour living in Dallas. Whereas if we live in Los Angeles, we might not afford, we might not be able to afford to leave the city. We might be so house broke that we can't afford to tour. We're in Dallas. We can afford to live and save money and tour eventually um then the other one is that from dallas you can get anywhere in 24 hours if you live in la it's going to take you three days to get to new york and that but you know that's that's another big factor too another one is that the dallas music scene is one that is like greatly revered across the country. It's also not so big like Austin or LA that there's like all this noise pollution. So you have to like claw your way through people. I mean, you do have to do that in Dallas, but nowhere near like you have to do in Austin or Los Angeles or New York to where they have like sub sex, you know, yeah. you might have like six different goth scenes in, in those cities, you know, yeah. in, in Dallas, it's smaller which a makes it more competitive, which I like because I'm a, I'm a like I'm I'm ambitious, so like I like uh, competition not because I like beating people, but I like the validation that what I'm doing is working.
0: Yeah, you it know? makes everyone better.
1: Exactly, because it pushes you. Yeah. There's a you know uh like, like a anyway like a means to uh to push yourself. You know, yeah. um and then you know I just we have such a good platform here to do things that we couldn't do in los angeles like you know there's already a very large very well established goth scene in los angeles where we would be a part of it whereas in dallas we can spearhead it we can we can be the leaders of it and so you know it's it's nothing's out of the cards like we're all babies you know and this band is young and like we keep having these like or you know, blank months where we can't do anything and it's going to turn into blank years, like uh, potentially where we can't do anything. So uh, yes, of course it lays in the cards. I think Berlin is in the cards. I think London's in the cards, but I, I don't, I think it is. I, I really think it is. I think, I honestly think London or Berlin is sooner in the cards than Los Angeles at this point, especially with where, r p r and our record label is located, which is all over there in europe mm-hmm. um and so you know i I just think that Dallas makes more and more and more sense and i i'm I'm happy to to be here and to be a part of this scene and and I love everybody in it, you know, like before the pandemic happened when when it was February and we were coming home from that tour, and we were thinking about the fact that like all right, this is it. Like come this fall, we're moving out of Dallas. It, I mean, we were really upset. Like we were really emotional about it, and it was, it felt like trying to pull a tooth too soon. Yeah. Like we just, we were gonna miss everybody too much. I yeah. feel like at that, I feel like if let's say COVID hadn't happened and we moved out to Los Angeles, I think that we would be real sad. I think we'd miss everybody so think much.
0: You made your way back.
1: No way <laughs> no, no i moved angry. I moved out when I was eighteen, and I swore that I not because like I swear I'll never move back home. I hate you, mom and dad, like not like that like I, I talked to my parents like weekly, um, but no it was it was more like I will never like I, I just I, my pride's too big, I guess like I'm yeah. like I won't come back home i'll couch surf for years before I'll come back home, and I think knowing myself if i had gone out to los angeles even if all my bandmates were like we can't hack it i would be like i would still be out there yeah. like i was dating a guy in oakland when like all of that was still like in the cards and very serious and, I, and he was a doctor so he was like very well off he was a psychologist and um And I was like, sir, are you going to come save me when I'm living in my box (laughs) on Hollywood Boulevard (laughs) with my, like, train kid dog? Uh
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, So where can people find you on social media?
1: Pretty easy. Um, The quickest way to find... Pretty much everything that we've talked about from my records to my music videos to our take cover series to invested in nostalgia is on Rose Garden Funeral Party dot com. Which I don't know if anybody goes to Dan's websites anymore, but I update that weekly. So um, Rose- you guys have
0: a YouTube channel? Yeah.
1: Well? And, and you can access our YouTube channel from Rose Garden Funeral Party dot com. Or you can just look up Rose Garden Funeral Party. No one else is named that. <laughs> so um, you can look that up. And then, of course, we're on Facebook and we are on Instagram. We're very active on both of those. I run all of those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're busy. Yes. I've
0: witnessed this.
1: Yeah, I'm very busy, unfortunately. I mean, I love it. Like, I'm like you. I, like I said before we started this, I'm like a shark. Like, if I stop moving, I will just die. i Like, it's been proven this year. Um, So, yeah, no, I'm busy. But I'll respond if you message me, unless it's creepy. Then I won't at all. And I'll read it to all the people I work with and we'll make fun of you. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Some guy one time called me chinchilla, honey. And me and Reese still call each other that. (laughs) What's up, chinchilla, honey?
0: Okay. That's what I'm going to refer to you now.
1: Yeah, see, there you go. Chinchilla, honey.
0: Well, hey, we did it.
1: We did it. Look at that.
0: We did it. (laughs) Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.